Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Game Your Life, the podcast that celebrates all things nerdy, nostalgic, and most importantly, my favorite medium, video games. This week, we got Bo Jordan on the episode. Bo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. This is exciting. It's first po- first podcast. Yeah, I love that. Like, you would said first podcast, and I feel like... Like, sometimes I booked comedy shows before where people are like, I'm not that experienced. And I'll be like, dude, this is basically an open mic. Like, this this is the opportunity to try out your chops and see what it's like. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. As long as you've played video games, that is the barrier to entry for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is funny because for me, like, I've just always listened to podcasts anyway. And I, I was always like, man, if I could just find a way to, like... Uh, find one that isn't just comedians talking about how they got into comedy i i i would love to do that and then i finally had an idea years later yeah but it's funny because uh i feel like i've known you through a friend of the podcast josh by the way yeah but i feel like it's almost like we uh we were like a missed friend opportunity because absolutely i feel the same way Because, I mean, for one, your last name's Jordan, my first name's Jordan, that's always a jumping off point. (laughs) But, like, every time Josh brought you up, it was sort of like, because we'd already be talking about something we love, and he'd be like, you know who else loves this? My buddy Bo. And I'd be like, who is this Bo? (laughs) Like, he sounds... Like, he loves all the right stuff. Yeah, we only got to hang out a couple of times. I think the first time was at that Smash tournament. Oh, man. And that's the thing. That, that day is, like, emblazoned in my head, because... I, I was surprised that you got any sort of good impression off of me because afterwards, <laughs> afterwards, Josh was like, oh, yeah, Bo like, thought you were funny. I was like, for, for, uh, to set the stage here, we, we were going to a Smash Bros. tournament at this new video game bar in Vancouver. Uh, it was called EXP Bar. And because of some stupid liquor law in Vancouver, it was like they weren't allowed serve liquor while you played video games in the venue. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the entire venue, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, essentially turning turning the whole bar into like an expensive basement of one of your friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we showed up or I showed up like already half cut and this was like <laughs> 11 p.m. like noon. And I was like, well, I got to be drunk for this tournament. I want to like, you know, treat it like a bar situation still yeah yeah i was expecting that we'd just get begooned by the end and have lost horribly in the tournament but and i thought it was all going to be people like us just looking to get gooned and sort of like you know casual smash players or whatever yeah boy was it not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what we got were people who looked like they do it as a career who were just like yeah i felt like they were offended by my presence but i also did a lot to earn that because <laughs> yeah totally there was uh yeah there was a couple characters there like the guy with the freezer bag full of hard-boiled eggs <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot about that guy yeah uh yeah no i will never forget about that guy that's something yeah else. I remember just fully, like, talking shit to the dude I was playing, and, like, I don't think he'd ever had someone be confrontational to him at all, and in my mind, I was just doing, like, a Chael Sonnen, like, you know, pro wrestling almost, like, you know, just fucking around. I'm like, we're in this fun thing that we're doing. Yeah, and I I don't know playing Smash Bros. without talking shit. Exactly. And (laughs) I think I rattled this person's cage because I ended up, like, the more shit I talked, the worse they got at the game, and I just beat the shit out of them. (laughs) And they just, like, left the venue and never came back. I was was like, oh, I'm a bad person. Yeah, there was a guy who had, uh, I think it was the Wiz embroidered on his hat. That was his tag. Oh, And, like, we're video game people, but that's... 
that's a different category of video game people that I don't have much experience with. It's crazy. So yeah, I think I think we were definitely the odd ones out there. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Just uh, you know, we were able to tolerate each other afterwards, and then. The only other time I remember <laughs> seeing you was again. It was at Josh's birthday, and we were at like a wrestling event. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, and that was yeah, it's the Hall- it's the Halloween thing. Yeah, Halloween Havoc, and man, it was sick. It was actually like a great show, from what I remember. So fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that guy that everybody loved except for me, Lucha Luchasaurus or something? Luchasaurus. <laughs> yeah, he's now a big big AEW star. I don't know if you're still a wrestling fan or not. Uh, on and off. I I don't follow it anymore, but I do still love it it holds a very special place in my heart right yeah for me luchasaurus was a big deal because i i'll i double nerded down on it where he was a former big brother player before he was a pro wrestler Uh, i didn't know that and i'm a big brother diehard so i'm like man this guy was good at big brother and wrestling (laughs) like i love (laughs) him Yeah, I, I thought. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't love him, but it was more of a bit that I didn't love him. Than <laughs> I, I remember popping off about it for some reason, but it was just I was also ha- fucking hammered. So <laughs> that's the thing. I don't remember much about either of these nights. Alcohol was also in, involved in both of these. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks because it does feel like one of those things where like. And, you know, I felt this way with Josh. When me me and him met, we became quick friends. But it's sort of like if we were all living in the same neighborhood. We would have just been playing the same games and, uh, yeah, totally. you know, making the same memories. And it's funny when you meet people where it's like they have all the same memories because we were all playing the same shit at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it all it all means slightly different things because of the, the setting. But, yeah, we all have it in common. We're all playing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I, why I wanted you to get you on the podcast is because I know you actually, like a lot of the people I have on, the game they the game of their life is like the one game they want to talk about or the one that's near and dear. Yeah. But I know you're like a hardcore gamer and I think you have been your whole life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely slowed down in recent years, but I used to play the shit out of I'm a Nintendo fanboy at heart. Was that your first system? Um so my first system was actually my uncle's and I think he owned his Super Nintendo for a total of a day. And then it, it somehow ended up <laughs> just staying at my grandpa's house, and it's been mine ever since. Right. I, I wonder how that happened. Because it was probably... I. What always baffles my mind is just because of how we were raised. Like, we were children when it came out, so I always assumed yeah. they cost, like, nothing like they did when we were a bit older. But these, yeah. these so, were yeah. still, like, brand new consoles that cost as much as they would today brand new yeah totally um yeah well my uncle's also a fucking idiot so he left he <laughs> he must have just left it there and my grandpa like he was probably gonna sell it for something and my grandpa's like hell fuck no bo loves this thing <laughs> yeah that's like selling the babysitter yeah absolutely uh yeah mine I, I was very similar i remember having a nintendo like before i could walk and like yeah games like bubble bobble were big and like that one where you start at the bottom and you have to make rainbows to climb up to the top i totally forget the name oh fuck yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah and, and then the super Ni- I, I was old enough where the super nintendo was still the game changer then yeah it was a it was a huge step up from the nes my first video game memories are from the nes but i didn't like get hooked on them until super nintendo yeah no my my nes memories are just like uh, bad parenting <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. i shouldn't have been like that close to the tv playing this game at like three absolutely yeah totally um actually i, I realized this past year my first video game memory was always punch out and the original zelda on an nes and then i realized that i didn't 
know whose house I was at. Like I have this super clear memory. And I, I asked my mom <laughs> and I like somehow guessed correctly that this random person's name was Dan. <laughs> and she's like, How the fuck do you remember that? You're like two years old. I was like, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's so random. Yeah, it's very weird. Um so what was the first so Super Nintendo like do you remember at all what age you were when you got your hands on one of those? Ah, fuck. I must have been like four. Because I, I hadn't started school yet. I remember that. Um, And I didn't know how to read yet. So my grandpa used to come in and read any dialogue. I was calling him in the bedroom like every five minutes to get him to read me something. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this this is actually the game that I called him in the most for. Um, because it was one of the first games that actually had a story with text that I had to read and I couldn't, couldn't do it. So it holds a pretty special place in my heart, actually. Oh, dude, Link to the Past, if you didn't know how to read, this would be such a difficult fucking game to beat. Yeah, totally. But I was like immediately engrossed in the world. Like the second it booted up, I was like, holy shit, this is, this is something else. (laughs) Yeah, I was the exact same way with this one. Uh, The first game I remember on Super Nintendo getting me was a Mario Kart for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's just the only one we had. And yeah. <laughs> I literally remember like for hours and hours and hours I would just try to like not come last. It was going around <laughs> yeah. it was like 8th out of 8th every time and then the first time I came 7th, I like ran down the stairs and told my dad like I came 7th. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and he acted like I just scored my first goal in like a sport or something. He was like, this is unbelievable. Totally, yeah. <laughs> but I actually think like video games were a huge learning tool um, to like gain competency in things. Completely. I was, I was almost going to bring that up when you said it. It's like they write it off like dumb mind melting bullshit, but like you were learning to read. Yeah. I think the opposite. Like, yeah. I and my grandpa would come in and like teach me what each word meant and like it was yeah it was, I learned a lot from video games and dexterity all kinds of stuff. It's also annoying now when you're like your parents who talk shit on video games. It's like you realize they're selling out GM place like six days in a row. Like that <laughs> yeah. they're all these millionaires, <laughs> superstar like gamers now that I could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, w- I wish that that trend had started a little bit earlier in my life because I would have been all over it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I, I don't know. I've also wondered, like, like you know how sad it is to be, like, a failed, like, uh, UFC fighter or whatever? Like, yeah, failed yeah. failed gamers where it's, like, yeah. your, wrists, your wrists are all fucked up from, like, arthritis and, like, your eyes are all fucked and yeah. you just got nothing to show your for it. Your spine's <laughs> all twisted up. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> That would be, yeah, that's pretty grim, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a few friends who um, I feel played online computer games um, a little too late into their life, and they haven't really done much else with it, and now they're 30. So Yeah. So, yeah, like, if that had happened in high school, maybe maybe something would have come from it, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It came at the wrong time in our lives. I knew a guy who, in high school, I'm not going to name names, because you never know who's listening, but he he literally went from, like, in grade 11, he was, like, star of the sports team, dating one of the hottest girls in school, sort of, like, playing that role. Yeah. And then he found World of Warcraft in the summer between 11 and 12. Yeah. And literally, like, transformed into the other role, like, in the span of a summer. Like, put on... (laughs) Put on, like, legitimate 40 pounds, lost the girlfriend, like, grades started failing. Like, it was crazy. It was, like, an actual addiction. Yeah, yeah, no, I actually have a similar story. My um, my buddy Marshall, who I had known since about grade two, 
he same thing like all half of my friends didn't go to school when world of warcraft came out and like just they, they would not leave their houses um but but marshall in particular his parents um ended up taking it away because he just would never go to school he's like whatever um and this is right around the time we we're starting to smoke weed and like dabble in drugs and stuff and i swear to god within a year he was dealing drugs had tried heroin um was breaking into <laughs> our houses and i was like wow World of Warcraft was filling something in you that you needed. <laughs> no kidding, dude. Uh, yeah. They call marijuana is not a gateway drug, dude. It's World of Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it was weird to see like it overtake people's lives like that. Yeah, that it was honestly like an uh, eye-opening experience for me because you you like you knew drugs were addictive. That's what you've been taught in school. But yeah. you're like, oh, like things can ruin people's lives that aren't even substances at all like yeah just like any high stimulus easy thing and now we're seeing the same thing with like cell phones and how that's taken over our lives yeah it's so bizarre our brains are stupid it's just like gets a little dopamine hit and it's like oh more of that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah we have like no control over it it's crazy but uh we could i feel like we could go on for a bit um but you know i wrote so much about this game that i want to get into so i want to leave enough time for it uh so let's dive right in bo jordan this is the game of your life Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. It was an action-adventure game developed and released by Nintendo in 1991 in Japan and then in 1992 in North America and Europe. It was the third installment of the series and went on to massive commercial and critical success, selling over 4 million copies worldwide and widely being considered the best game of all time upon its release. Bo, how old were you when you got your hands on this thing? Do you remember? I think it must have been three or four. Probably four, I would imagine. I think we got it around. That's crazy to me, because it's becoming a trend with my show here where I'm always underestimating the the release date of these things. Absolutely. I think just because we were getting our game, like the games were, I was getting them years after the release. I wasn't getting them when they were the hot new thing. Yeah, so totally. Like if I had to guess, I would have guessed this was like a 94 release, and it's like 91 or 92 essentially yeah yeah i, w- I thought 94 too i think like somewhere in my brain i knew it was 92 in north america but like i just it, it was brand new to me as a four-year-old so like you miss the hype train when you're one or two years old yeah isn't that strange like because now we'll get hyped on a new release based on like word of mouth and like a good trailer or whatever but yeah. when you find games like this and get your hands on them, you'll almost have, like, your one-person hype train where you're like, this is fucking <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> like, why isn't the world talking about this? Absolutely. And it was, it was weird because, like, I don't think my grandpa knew anything about it. It was just, like, we would rent games all the time, and this was one of them. And it was one of the first ones we ever rented, and it just, like, it sucked me into it like crazy. Yeah, I don't remember... Um, the only game I remember purchasing was when I was a bit older. Uh, I got like Chrono Trigger from a store with like with the original box, and I, I always remember that. But for for whatever reason, I think my dad, when he had it, got a Super Nintendo, just had a bunch of games, and this was one of the games that just came with it. So it was almost like I almost took it for granted at first. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And had had you played had you played the original one on the Nintendo before you'd played this? Because 
I I couldn't recall. Yeah, that's um yeah, one of my first video game memories is yeah, that and punch out in some random dude's house like I talked about earlier, but Oh um, right, yeah. There was no there was no real story to it and I think I was too young to like really know what the fuck was going on. And that's just a hard game. Yeah, I actually tried to replay it recently uh on the Switches, the Switch free games. And yeah, yeah, I just get lost and frustrated, and then I feel like a loser having to look up how to beat it when I'm like, this game was made like 30 years ago or whatever, 40 years ago. Yeah, and like the most simple version of Zelda. But like, there's no way to know about like the secret things in the walls. There's like, nobody tells you about them, you just have to bomb every fucking wall in the right. thing. And it's it's just like a much less good <laughs> Zelda than we're used to. For either. sure. Um, which can be, you know, <laughs> forgiven given the time period. Absolutely. But it's funny because my relationship with Zelda, it's not a love-hate. Like, I've always loved them. But I, I do have this uh, disconnect, uh, I think, with the difficulty of it. Because with most Zelda games, when I play them, I was too young or didn't have the resources or just wasn't able to right. get past certain parts. Yeah. So, like, Link to the Past, I, the first three levels, the first three temples, where before you get the Master Sword, I'd done at least a dozen yeah. times in my life. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Then in those dozen times, I'd probably got into varying different stages, but never actually beat this game. So, it wasn't until you had told me that you'd want to do one of these games, and I was like, alright, I'm going to actually sit down on my Switch and beat this thing so I can talk about it competently. Uh, yeah. That I did it recently. So, like, uh, up until two weeks ago, I'd never actually fully beaten this game. And now I can say I have. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I feel, fuck, I must have beaten this game about 40 times, to be honest. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, literally a run-through at this point. Yeah, I find get, there's so many games like this that, like, I just wouldn't play again. Yeah. Because, like, Mario RPG, I don't think I'll ever get anything out of playing it again. Because it's too in my memory. Like, I could already tell you what happens. Yeah, yeah. Let's totally. get into the first uh, pillar of this game. The, I always like to go over first the story and the characters. Um, it's funny, when breaking down this Legend of Zelda game, I didn't really realize how simplistic it was. And that's a word I'll use positively. Like, I think the game is exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, it's not much more than it needs but to be. But it is very, like, there's the three characters that have substance or character in this game are Link, Zelda, and Ganondorf. Or Ganon, as he's known in this game. Yeah, and I think, um, honestly, the one that stands out the most to me is the bottle guy in the desert. <laughs> you mean the, the thief king? <laughs> or the, the sign guy, yeah, the sign guy. Explain yeah. what happens with him. Yeah, so um, in the light world, he, he, he says nothing, and he just basically ignores you, and there's a sign next to him that says, please don't bother me. And then you, take, <laughs> you pick up the sign, and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you clearly read the sign. And then he just like follows you around until he like, and he won't piss off until you <laughs> exit the area. Yeah, I remember that stressed me out as a kid the first time I did it. Yeah, because I was like, "What is he just gonna follow me the rest of the game?" And then I think <laughs> yeah. like I think you're not allowed to go into caves when he's following you too. So you're like, yeah. I can't go anywhere." And this guy's fucking. I already broke his sign, so I can't like bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there is no option to just like put it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you try to, you just chuck it against him. Yeah, and I think he becomes important later where you, there's, like, a locked chest that you have to get him to... But that's, like, way later in the game. Like, this guy serves no purpose, you think, until, like, three-quarters of the way through For the game. For sure. So I had written a note that, like, the side characters in this game almost seem purely there to move the story along. 
So, like, the, the pastor in the sanctuary, I don't even know if they give him a name, but he's there to give <laughs> no. you, like, story contextual storyline points and protect Zelda and tell you where to go. Yeah, and then immediately dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And same, you can say the same thing about your uncle. Yeah, like, the first two characters you meet, are, uh, I guess first and third characters you meet are just fucking dead immediately. Yeah. Um, although, you know what I didn't realize till I beat the game? It says... Do you remember this in the credits? It says your uncle survives all this. Yeah, I, I, yeah. There's no evidence of it, but <laughs> no, it makes a point of saying, like, in the narrative, the slides, like your uncle ended up surviving. I was like, okay, where the fuck was, was he? he supposed to be? The original Link, and then maybe he just got stabbed. Yeah, and then there's also a mistranslation. It's like Zelda is your, and it makes it sound like sister, but. It's, they never really cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, well, they probably should. I mean, yeah, they've never really said that there's a romance there between them anyway, though. Or unless they have and I'm not aware of it. No, I don't think there's enough of a story mm-hmm. there to to imply either You know way. what I, um, sort of a disconnect to me in this game that I'd only thought of playing this is when he starts an Ocarina of Time, it's sort of established that he's amongst the these elves, or I think it's elves, right? even though he's not one. And that's why he's dressed that way. Yeah. But in Link to the Past, he's <laughs> dressed the same way, and there's not really an explanation. He's just a kid, and then you see your uncle, and he's not dressed that way. And it's yeah. sort of like... I was wondering if, if there was an explanation or if that was just always how the character design was meant to be. Yeah, not that I know of. I th- it became like a little more dressy in um, Ocarina of Time. Because mm-hmm. a, a tunic's just kind of like a long shirt. It's not really like a, a man's skirt, <laughs> as far yeah, as I know. for sure. I, uh, like, Link just straight up wasn't wearing pants in Ocarina yeah, of Yeah, I think it comes with leggings, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. In the in that version, I kind of always just considered it like a long floppy hat and a fucking t-shirt, but... <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> um, the, the main bad guy is Ganon, but honestly, it feels like, to me in this game, the main bad guy is the wizard Aga, Aganim. I'm going to call him yeah. Aganim moving forward. Um, but yeah, because he's the one who... It's his vision to bring back Ganon. He knows Ganon can bring about the Dark World, but it almost feels like Doctor Doctor Frankenstein to me, where this guy's got the vision, he's doing all the evil actions, and Ganon's just going to show up and wreck the house when he gets there. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think he's supposed to be like a proxy for Ganon, like it's his um, like what Jesus is to God kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it is still him, but he's, like... Wait, can know. you explain this to me? Because uh, in this game, he's Ganon, but I know they mentioned that he used to be Ganondorf, and I don't know... I never know when he's supposed to be known as Ganon and Ganondorf and why the difference even exists. Yeah, so the the whole story with this one is it takes place after, like, what's called the Imprisoning War. So, like, all of Hyrule is fighting for the for the Triforce, and I think he was, like, the King of Thieves at this point. Um, and then he ended up getting his hands on the Triforce, but it created this separate, separate world. And then he was transformed at that point into like the demon King, whatever kind of Ganon version of himself. So that all, that all happens like well before the game even starts. That's my understanding. This was, this was (laughs) meant to be a prequel even to the first two Zelda games from what I, from what I'd read looking up this game. Okay. Okay, I didn't even know um, that. 
but it's it's interesting because so the main story uh is basically like you're woken up in your cabin or whatever it's pissing rain apparently you live with your uncle but there's only one bed that's something i noticed too <laughs> yeah i never really clocked that but yeah it's and thing, yeah. i the mood the game <laughs> sets immediately is great because it's pissing rain out uh the music is very tense and like like yeah it's it just sets this tone of like urgency absolutely yeah and uh, you're not you're not allowed to go anywhere but the castle you're like you have no choice but to take this quest mm-hmm. on yeah and you're all you're also infiltrating the castle through this side passage that I remember as a kid thinking that was the coolest shit ever. There was like this absolute yeah, totally. hidden passage <laughs> underneath a bush that like brings you into the sewers. Yeah, it it hooks you right away, especially as a little kid. Like that was the first time it's like, "Oh wow, fucking shit's going on." <laughs> yeah. And you immediately disregard what your uncle says about staying in bed and you're off to the races. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um and so then this this first piece sort of it like acts as a tutorial by getting Zelda out of the castle. You you literally have to like break her out of a jail where you have that mini boss with the mace yeah. or the flail or whatever. And yeah, after yeah. that, your sanctuary guy will tell you about the seven sages that you have to get to break the seal. But before that, you literally have to get three pendants to prove that you're worthy to get the master sword because the master sword's the only thing that's going to be Ganon. And then with that, you can get the Seven Sages. So I realize, like, it's a super simplistic story. But like I said earlier, like, the, sim- the simplicity almost adds to it. Because, like, the first three levels, you, like, you learn so much going through them and shit. But they're all just to get the sword. Like, there's really... The two big plot points are, like, find out shit's going on, get the sword. Like, A to B. But so much happens in between that. So, yeah, totally. Um, and it it as a child, I remember every time I got a pendant, I was like, "I'm a badass. I'm gonna get this sword, and it's game over. Like this guy's done." <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And and so before the first one, you uh, meet another character. I should probably bring up. I'm gonna butcher his name unless you can say it better. Yeah, I don't think anybody knows how to say this guy. Sahasrala. Sahasrala. I'm gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's like uh, basically the old sage, and he's Link's only mentor. Yeah, and he he uh, he he talks to you throughout the whole game if you use those little hint tablets. As far as I know, if I, as far as I remember, at least in the light no, he world. does know in the dark temples too. And it made me wonder, like, do you think this was their attempt at like a navi, or like, do you think the the game designers always had this idea in mind of like a guardian angel on your shoulder, sort of guiding you through the game? Yeah, I I probably, as the story and the gameplay grew a little more complex and they were able to do more, they probably wanted to help people out a little bit. But I this is I love that it was optional. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to read those things. Yeah, no, and they're basically like the like you see the the blocks in Yoshi's Island. You you hit for information. Like there's it's yeah. it's just like that with an old man giving you hints on the other side. Yeah, it makes me wonder why he didn't just do all this if he knows so much about everything. <laughs> I think he might have said that, like, I'm too old and frail. I, oh, I think yeah, they, maybe. A- they actually might have brought reference to that. Okay, yeah. I, it's been a while since I've actually, like, sat down and, like, read it. I just kind of blow through the dialogue <laughs> to progress the story. <laughs> so, yeah, as the story continues, as you get your master sword, yeah, this is when you receive your se- second telepathic message. I didn't bring that up earlier, by the way. When the game starts, it starts because Zelda telepathically messages you. 
And they uh, never yeah. really bring up that that's just like a power she has. Yeah, um, totally. She, do- she doesn't help you other than those two times. As far yeah, as other than this incredible power, that game-breaking power, she never helps you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but she tells yeah. you, like, oh, we're being attacked right now. And it's when you get the Master Sword, you have to go. And that's when you fight Aghanim for the first time and get transferred to the Dark World. Yeah, so the Dark World, I, we had a little um, dabble of it when you go to the Tower of Hera on Death Mountain. Um, and oh, I yeah, remember, that's true. I, I remember, like, up until that point, I felt like a little badass with my sword. I was like, third level, go time. And then I get transported to the, the Dark World, and you get turned into this little bunny. And he's fucking useless. Totally powerless. You can't swing your sword or anything. Yeah, I remember absolutely bawling <laughs> at <laughs> As this a kid? point in the game. Yeah, and my grandpa had to like come and comfort me and like figure this part out so that I would stop crying. Because <laughs> I was like, this game just sucks now. Like, I am no good. <laughs> this quest is over. <laughs> And it was like the end of the world. It's so funny to think, because yeah, as a four-year-old, this game was literally probably the most important thing going on in your life at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just suck all of a sudden. I'm it's like, like the same. It's like the same reaction as of now. If you looked at your bank account and all the money was gone for no reason, you like, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, when, when you get transported to the dark world, like this opened up a whole new thing in my brain. I was like, I thought this game was about over at this point. Yeah. And you, you're not even fucking not even, close. not even halfway. Because, <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's funny because, I mean, now you could almost see it at the beginning when they say the Seven Sages or whatever. They do lay out the storyline pretty clear. But yeah, yeah, when you're a kid, you're not even thinking about shit like that. No, like you're on the way to the castle. I'm going to save the princess. It's, it's over. Uh, but yeah, no. I, I will say while we're talking about uh, the sages, that is one uh, criticism I'll, I'll bring towards the game, is that yep. I feel like, well, for one, it's a super generic one, but I'm giving it a pass because I'm praising the simplicity. I can't also critique the simplicity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, but you can. I will, I will say the say the sages were almost entirely too uh, generic to me. Way too generic. They you don't you, they don't speak. And you have you have no backstory. They don't them. even look impressive. They look like the same townsfolk that you would see, uh, sort of like mulling around the town. Like in in Ocarina of Time, obviously it's a totally different game. But like, yeah, they're all important people in the story that have like history with the areas that they're protecting. And yeah, and and people that you have to let go of. Like they're important people to Link. And his whole jam in that game is that he has to he has to lose them. He has to basically lose everything to save the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, so that was one thing that sort of like, eh, it didn't just click with me. I... Yeah, no, there, there's no real motive to save them aside from to save Zelda. And that could have been just a generic crystal like every other RPG of all well, time. Well, I think the, the sages were trapped inside a crystal. So they, they essentially were crystals. Well, yeah, no, exactly, but... <laughs> Um, And then the final point I'll bring up for story is that, like, I didn't realize you were actually trying to collect the Triforce in this game. Because I feel like a lot of Zelda games, like, the Triforce is just this thing that's in the universe, but isn't even really brought up a lot of the time. Yeah. It's just, there's never any hope of you getting the Triforce in the the game, generally. Yeah, it's never, like, a weapon you'll use. But in this, it's sort of like, they crescendo the whole game by, you beat Ganon, and then get the triforce at the end yeah and I, I assume that at that point you make the wish to get rid of the dark world and shit like that but 
Yeah, it's. I think that's one of the. It's one in uh, Zelda one, and then this one where you actually get the Triforce. I don't think it's the Triforce in the original one, but it's just a yellow triangle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's move on to gameplay. Uh, the first thing you'll notice is that we got our traditional top-down view, which was actually a return to form to the first game because in Zelda 2, the lesser-known Zelda 2, it's like a side-scroller, which yeah. I tried to play on that Nintendo simulator and just could not. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody pretty much universally agrees that that game sucks ass. Yeah, uh, it does not. It, I mean, it's the worst Zelda, for sure. By far. Um, but I, I would say the thing that stands out to me as one of the strongest features of this gameplay is the the world map that it presents. It's one yeah. of the strongest features because it, it feels so huge and sprawling. It has areas for exploring, but then it's also like compact and organized, it, it, like it makes sense. And the swapping between the two maps the entire game is really cool. Yeah, it's a brilliant way to... It feels like the map is twice as big because they'll change the environment within the world swap. So, like, the the desert, for instance, in the light world, the desert, if you swap over to the dark world, is actually a swamp. It's, like, an entirely different environment. Yeah. And, like, you have to use the mirror, like, stand in one area, use the mirror, and now all of a sudden you're on a cliff. It does it's clever little stuff like that the whole time. I love that. It's such a brilliant mechanic for the game, like, because, I mean, in Ocarina of Time, for instance, you just time travel in between the areas based to like access like you know different parts of the story or different areas but in this one it's literally like if you use the mirror in the right spot it'll bring you to an, a place you couldn't access before it actually becomes gameplay yeah it's super uh, cool. it reminds me almost the, the whole map thing it reminds me of a chrono trigger in a way where like they would do the same thing by traveling in time yeah and yeah. and the ex the exact same map would feel like a totally different thing because you're in a different time period and there's different characters yeah chrono trigger wow like I, you haven't done that game on the podcast yet have no you? not yet yeah that that game holy shit that'll be like a 50th episode or something absolutely it has to be special but it yeah wow it holds up spoiler alert <laughs> yeah. i will say uh this game was more difficult than i remembered it um because he always remembers Zelda games being hard, but I would I would also always chalk that up to my age at the time. And in my head, it was always like, well, if I played that now, it would be easy. But yeah. even in the combat, I found myself dying a lot in the dungeons. I found boss battles that you had to prepare for. Yeah, I mean, we've I think we've almost been spoiled with excellent controls. Not that, not that the controls in The Link to the Past are bad, but they're more mm -hmm. limited. So it forces you to think of combat in a slightly different way. I find. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, there's all these comparisons to Dark Souls or like this is the foundation or whatever. And it's true in that you can't get experience points. But what you can do is like prepare with potions and you can go collect heart pieces. Like I, I realized at one, one of the bosses was just way too tough for me. And I'm like, I'll just go get a couple heart containers and like buff up yeah. for this. And it almost felt like grinding in a way. Yeah, I, I I like too that this is a time in Zelda history where certain power ups were completely optional, like they're not required by the story to progress. Like I think there's like four or five items in this game that you don't have to. Yeah, get. Yeah, though the one that springs to my mind is the magic cape, which because I was trapped at a there, there's a cave up in near uh, what is it Hera Tower, where yeah. literally to get to a heart piece you got to get by this bumper 
and like there's no way to pass by it and unless you have the magic cape and go invisible and go through it and, yeah. and when i realized that i'm like oh so i won't be able to like you need every item obviously to get every heart piece and all that yeah yeah i think the the cane of burna also is completely like you don't even cross paths with it unless you're looking for mm-hmm. it um that's yeah the blue one that makes you invincible for a time oh yeah but yeah i i, I just like that it you could kind of set the difficulty for yourself too. It is definitely a hard Zelda game, um, but you can make it harder if you've if you've beaten it a thousand times. You don't have to get the tunic. You don't have to upgrade your sword. Yeah, that was another interesting part that I didn't realize. Like every part of your character felt upgradable, other than I'd say his speed. You yeah. couldn't really upgrade, but outside of that it's like your sword gets stronger your shield gets better your tunic gets or you can lift heavier things you can your items will individually upgrade like yeah. there's so much upgrading to be done as on top of your health yeah i was gonna say as far as side content uh it did feel like there were like i wouldn't call them side quests in the traditional sense where like you get it as a side thing but there was shit you could do like finding the dwarf that's going to upgrade your sword or you know uncovering like there's a few things you can do that felt side quest-ish in this universe yeah and like the simple palette swaps i found with the swords too as a little kid i'm like oh shit my sword's orange now that's awesome and it's it's like it's visually rewarding like he he changed appearance which i found exciting i sort of hate when games don't do that where i'm like well it's a brand new item like you should it should look different yeah and I, i remember just by by the end of the game um because as a kid, obviously, like I'm, I'm upgrading everything I can find. I remember having like the giant mirror shield, um, the last tunic, which I think is the red one, and the golden master sword. And I was like, I fucking rule! Like this is this is awesome. you're unstoppable, and it's great because it yeah. it'll still allow you to go to the areas at the beginning of the game where you're just one hitting everybody and just stomping through. And it it does feel like your character's progressed as the story's gone on. Yeah, you feel like more of a hero. <laughs> uh, the the fast travel was a great addition late in this. I thought um, you'll get. An, do you get the ocarina from the dude in the forest, or no? He just gives you a shovel. I forget. Um. So I think you you go to the dark world, and he's sitting in that little wooded area, and he's turned into like a stump or something. Oh, right. And you gotta you, you have to dig up the ocarina. Um. He's like buried it nearby. That's right. And uh, there are, I mean, there are some memorable characters because his dad is like drunk in a bar somewhere, missing his son, and you like don't find out what happened to him till you get to the dark world and find out that he's essentially died. That is so dark. I mean, not <laughs> pun <Yeah>. not. Meant. <laughs> and yeah, there is a few. There are a few things like that. Like I said, the dwarf missing his brother, and you you find him in the dark world, like trapped behind these pegs, somehow. It is sort of like I don't know. There is like a Majora's Mask sort of dark tone to this game, like because yeah. everyone everyone's got fucked up stuff happening in their life, and none of them can attach it to this like sinister dimension that they're not aware of. Yeah, and I I know some have like travel traveled to and from, but yeah, um, I think everybody is like a weird Bizarro version of themselves too. Like they don't even retain their old appearance. Right, just like you when you turn into the rabbit. Uh, yeah. I will say when it comes to the boss battle i'll go into my critiques here uh there's certain boss battles where just the resource management was annoying like you had to hit you could only use like a fire rod or an ice rod on one of them and if you just ran out of magic you were just sort of fucked there was no 
yeah no way to damage yeah, that boss I, I was actually gonna bring that up too um when we got to the boss thing but there's not a lot of great bosses in this mm-hmm. game and we'll get we'll dive more into that later but yeah, I, I found them pretty unremarkable. Yeah, the ones that stood out, I, I sort of do stick with me, but the ones that don't are just like, it was more annoying than anything. And I found if I just showed up with three bottles of blue potion, I could beat any boss anyway. It just became became like a tedious part of the game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple secret ways to beat bosses that probably would be the highlight gameplay-wise for for the boss battles, but... Yeah, overall, not awesome. One of the weaker Zelda titles, in my opinion, for boss battles. Yeah, and I'll also take that a step further, that sentiment, with I think the Ganon battle is particularly anticlimactic. Yeah, it's hard, but it's like artificially hard, and it's not very exciting. And it's sort of similar to the one you'd gone through with Aghanim. Like like I said earlier, like Aghanim felt like the main boss. Yeah, you battle totally. You battle him two times. When you get to the end of Ganon Tower, he's there. He's the final boss of Ganon Tower. And then Ganon himself turns into a bat and flies away to be a final boss battle. But then by time by time you get to Ganon, it's it's hard, but it's not like the hardest one in the game. And like No, and it, it is very similar to the Aghanim fight where you just kind of chase him around the room and whack him with your sword. Yeah, and on top of that, like there's no temple you have to go through to get to him, so... There's no real stakes in losing. Like, you can save right before and just go go in and beat the shit out of him. So it's almost like a given. Yeah, I mean, Ganon's Tower is is right before... Uh, I guess it's a little bit after that boss battle, or before that boss It's battle. the one before. Wait, wait, we will... Let's go into the dungeon design a bit, though, because I think there... It's, it shows how much you can do with this, because... A game like this, it's a bit more advanced than your average like RPG maker sort of system. Um, but the way they've managed to make it feel unique and like, I, I would not imagine an average gamer could just put something this complex and technical together by themselves. No, and I, I think like at the at the time, like the difference in height, especially coming from the NES, like just the idea of cliffs adds so much to the game. Oh like, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like when you're able to jump off and stuff too. Yeah, and like holes that you fall down to get to different floors. Um, yeah, just it just it makes it feel that bigger. felt huge to me. I remember the first time I played in Hera Tower, and the boss is actually on a platform. And if you've never fallen fallen down, oh. you would just assume that you die and go to the doorway if you fall. And if you and and the boss is also basically like a giant bumper, so you're designed to get knocked off of them or whatever and the first time you fall you're like sent to an area below and it's sort of like like you're like interested you're like oh am i meant to fall down into the right area yeah and i think that kind of teaches you like it can be useful and moving forward yeah the game makes sure to teach you really quick that like the the walls that are destroyable and whenever whenever they give you a new item they're sure to like teach you almost like tutorial basic level like what the item can do because that's that's another part that's just baked into this game's gameplay is the items represent progression through the game like you you won't be able to beat certain dungeons unless you've done the ones before and like there'll be an area where you need a hookshot to progress and if you don't have it you're not meant to be here yeah and and that gets a lot of zelda gets a lot of hate for that now they they pivoted with um a link to the past and breath of the wild but it, it gets a lot of hate for being too linear and 
in terms of progression, like you get locked out of areas. I have never had a problem with it, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's junk. It's like, okay, I understand that open world is like a modern theme, but in my mind, like all the Zelda games have always been linear up until Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and I, I think there's ways that you can make it less linear. Like I think a link to the or a link between worlds did a good job with that, where you can kind of go anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. The problem with that I find too is the like the game is kind of limited in how much harder it can get. Like all of those initial dungeons kind of have to be the same difficult right yeah and once you it's like you've said if you played the games enough time it just turns into like a procedural run when you know what you're doing yeah uh, have you ever done a randomizer no i've i've seen a bunch though i used to watch randomize i'd actually watch those with josh when we were hung over we'd throw on like yeah. link to the past randomizer runs yeah I, d- I downloaded an emulator and i i gave it a crack with both um a link to the past and majora's mask and it is super fun it's a like it takes it, it it tests how well you think you know the right. Game. I would imagine it would be so game breaking, but if it's possible to do, yeah, I, there, yeah, there are different settings. Um, you can have it so that it's always beatable. Um, but you'll just find like an important item in a random chest, and you're like, okay, where can I go with oh, this? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because the items would open up the new paths. Just like I said, they provide pr- progression. So like fans have taken it among, uh, upon themselves to like make the game harder and less linear and it's yeah it's super fun i would check it out that's interesting yeah i i will say on one final note on as far as the linear argument it sort of becomes like it's like if you watched a fucking drama movie and we're like oh it wasn't funny enough it's like well that's not yeah type of, that's not the type of game, game it is <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like there's so many open world games it's like okay well you open up a zelda game you know what you're gonna get for the most part They've changed it recently, but, like, don't fucking play Zelda games if you don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, we'll move on uh, to the third section, the graphics and the music. And I this one's interesting, because I think, historically, people revere the Zelda soundtracks. Yeah. But I don't think that really came about until Ocarina of Time, because you got the Song of Storms, and you got Soraya's Song, and you got yeah. all sorts of shit. Like, in this game... There really only is the main theme song. Yeah, there's the Dark World theme, and then there's the Overworld yeah. theme. Yeah. And, um, and the Overworld theme, uh, don't get me wrong, is an all-time legendary video game classic. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, those those two songs are iconic, and I think maybe like the cave theme um, stand out in my mind, but overall... Every dungeon um, has has the same music where they would change that in future iterations to give it the, its own sort of vibe. But I mean, also knowing what, like the, the, the limitations of music and games and the fucking early nineties is so extreme that I can't really hold it against them all that much. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't have any huge complaints about the music in the game, but it, a lot of it doesn't stand out. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it is like mood setting too. Sort of like I said off the top, like, it, sometimes the music just seems to be there to make you more stressed in like a, a tough situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As totally. far as the graphics, I mean, it it's got that Super Nintendo thing where it just holds up. It looks great. I mean, how you yeah. can't complain against it too much. There's nothing more to say about it. It holds up so well to me. And like even even the loading screen, like that's the 
moving triangles and like the high the shot of Hyrule Castle, it just like immediately sucks me back in. Yeah, it. for sure. I think the reason that the game, the link between two worlds on the 3DS, worked so well is because it was such like a like we already have the art style, like everything already looks great, and, and now we have this nostalgia baked into it, so they could just add to this perfect foundation. Yeah, I've I've only beaten that game once. I actually have to go revisit it. <laughs> yeah, I remember getting it at the time. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, you brought up earlier the swords and stuff, but I did think it was cool how Link's outfits sort of changed as he as he would change throughout the game. Yeah, me too. I think it just makes him look more badass by the end mm-hmm. of it. And I will say, like, they really had to commit to aesthetic changes in the dark world to pull off the dark world. Yes. It would have been a really easy flop if they just made it like rainy or shitty and like yeah. like if they still had the same enemies like everything is different about the dark world absolutely everything except for yeah, you except for you even the trees are fucked and instead of apples they'll drop bombs like yeah and they talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's so weird hey uh, yeah you just like walk up to a tree and it like chirps you a little bit and spits a bomb at you right man <laughs> well if, yeah that's pretty much it's funny graphics and music to me it's such an important part of the game but it's also not a ton to talk about no yeah there isn't a lot in this game to go but on at at this point i wanted to try a new segment of the show never done this before but it's the three top threes of zelda link to the past and i'm thinking i'm gonna just gonna ask you three subjects you'll give me your top three from the game and if it works maybe i'll do it on future games sure sounds uh, good but and I tried to pick the most like uh, comprehensive, you know, parts of this game. And the first, like we brought up earlier, is the items. Uh, yeah. What items did you find like practically looked like they fit the game the best, and then also you were using the most in the game? Yeah. So two of mine are um, actually optional. Um, so Bombos Medallion, I thought was awesome as a kid. Just that uh, you summon explosions. Completely non-essential. You don't have to get it. Um, but you you can, mm-hmm. is that the one you get from just, there's like a circle of stones in the water and you throw something in the middle? Yeah, I think so. I think like a Zora or something gives it to you or a fish. It or is something. sick. Um, and then the Pegasus boots, just because you get to rip around, um, they use it in a ton of pu- puzzles. Um, one puzzle that stands out, I can't remember which one it's in, but you have to face a block and there's a gap behind you. And then you run into it, and it sends you flying backwards over the gap. I thought that was really clever. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then probably the one that I use the most when I have it, again, optional, is the magic boomerang. Mm-hmm. It like it spans the entire map, um, deals damage, freezes some people, and then cuts grass. Yeah, too. I didn't mention in the gameplay, because I, I, I ha- or in the characters, there are magic fairies throughout the, the land. And yeah. there's also these mysterious lakes, they call them. And yeah. yeah, you can just chuck certain items in. And you would never know what items to throw in. I'm sure people just went through everything they could choose. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, okay. You do have to pay for certain of the, a couple of fairies, I think, but who cares? Right. And they like turn you're... your junky, shitty blue boomerang into this kick ass magic boomerang. Yeah. Um, I will give an honorable mention to the um, ice rod and hammer. If you use them together, you can get a full magic drop, which is incredibly useful sometimes. Every time? Yeah, every oh, time. Oh, that's a great tip. I wish I knew that. 
Yeah, you freeze them and then smash them, and it drops magic. Damn. Well, I'll list mine real quick. And first of all, I do want to say, the bow and arrow, it should be way better, but it's so slow that it's like, why would you ever use this in the game? Yeah, I don't even think it gets a speed boost when you get the silver arrows. No, and it's like, especially when you have the boomerang or the hookshot that can hit almost all the same stuff. Yeah, and I mean, you can throw the boomerang in a different direction. You can throw it um, horizontally. Uh, mm -hmm, yeah 360 all around you my third is the bottles or a bottle okay no, <laughs> not on, i but i'll explain it i'll yeah, defend yeah. it um yeah no, no please i because, don't yeah i don't disagree <laughs> I, I although it's simplistic it's sort of like it, it is the thing that would help get you through the boss battles or the dungeons when you're just getting worked you can go up and actually store potions but yeah. i also just like like, none of this is just an item you save up for and buy, other than the initial one. It's all, like, there's a different way to get them. And yeah. by time by time you have two, the first two are somewhat easy, but by time you get the third and the fourth, it feels earned, and it feels like a big fucking deal. You're like, wow, I can do that much more. Yeah. Um, I always love the guy under the bridge that gives it to you, too. <laughs> yeah. And, like, there's, uh, unless you're exploring... You're never going to find Yeah, this it's like the guy... You just have to swim under like a bridge. It's like the guy had a bottle of moonshine, and now he's just got a bottle, and he's passed <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, uh, I totally. go for the fire rod second, because I didn't realize how useful it was until this run, and I was just murking everybody with it. Loved it. Yeah, and then there's that uh, butterfly boss, too, or whatever. The Mothra. Mothra. I think it's named Mothra, yeah. and I was like, that's got to be a conflict of interest or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can just bulldoze. That and guy. my third, my first favorite, number one, is the hook shot. Because yeah. in this game is the first time you see it. And even the like the mechanism of using it feels so satisfying in this game. Getting over gaps you couldn't before. Yeah, I, I seriously considered the hook shot in there yeah, too. Yeah, I just remember as a kid it felt like huge. Like you imagine it like, oh man, you can just shoot on that wall. Um, yeah. Did you, do you ever, have you ever watched uh, Game Theory? Uh, no. Uh, they do an episode on like the physics involved with the hook shot, and it would basically rip Link's arm out of his socket and kill him. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because it's like a zero to a hundred acceleration. <laughs> yeah, that's very very. Uh, funny. So your next three favorite. Uh, what are your three favorite dungeons in this game? Um, so Swamp Palace, I think, is number three. I love that one. It's the water the water level. It's one of the more interesting ones. And I think it has, like, the three that I have probably have the most of their own identity. Wait, so to be clear, because the third temple and the dark one is the one... Okay, is that yeah, the one yeah, you yeah. mean? Where you have to drain the so, water in the light world and it gives you access yes. in the dark world? Yeah, yeah. So it's like the, the first water temple, basically. Right, yeah, because there is, like, an actual swampier to... area. I think, like, the sixth one is also a swamp. But this... Yeah, in my mind, this is the water temple, like you said. Totally. And I, the naming's a little weird. I think that this one that I'm talking about is called the Swamp Palace. Oh, weird. And then the other one is called Misery Mire, <laughs> even though it's in a swamp. So I don't know. Yeah, Misery Mire <laughs> sounds a lot like a swamp to me. Yeah. Um, and then the second was the Ice Palace. I think it had the most clever puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, it's like right at the end. I, I can't even remember what it is, but I remember the, like you actually have to sit and think about how to how to solve well, it. And the whole thing is filled with dice puzzles. It becomes a staple in the series. You can sort of see it started here, like, or it might have even started in the next one, but they knew what they wanted to do with ice immediately. Yeah, totally. Um, and then I have to give it to Ganon's Tower. It tests 
number one to Gammon's Gammon's Tower because it tests everything that you've had to do so Hell far. Hell yeah. And it's like, it's a bit of a gauntlet. Um, yeah, there's mini bosses throughout the whole thing that you have to it do. It is miserable. And one honorable mention is um, for them, from the GBA version, the Palace of the Four Swords. What's that? I remember it's um, it's like an optional post-game thing. It's when the first Four Swords came out for GBA. And I think it was on that cartridge. There's an option. There's an optional palace and like an optional boss oh, fight. Oh, crazy! Yeah, and it, it was like a remixed temple, and like it again was probably one of the best ones in the game, even though it wasn't in the original. Oh wow, that's awesome! I gotta give that a shot. Yeah, it's, it's super uh, cool. I'll go quick. I I like the Tower of Hera third most, um, just because it introduces the crystal balls that you'll hit, you'll see throughout the game, which I thought were like a real cool mechanism throughout. It also introduces the falling from one floor to the other, which was mind-blowing at the time. Number two, I go Skull Woods, because I, I like... that. It's the one temple that blends the overworld and the, the dungeon itself, and you'll constantly be going between the two, which I thought was just really well-designed. And then I actually go for the Dark Palace, my, my favorite. It's the first one in the Dark World. Okay. I, I Yeah, I mean, that's the the first one that you encounter, so it's like... It's probably the one that we've done the most. And I actually think it's really well designed. The, the Dark Palace, to me, it's like... it's I like love that it's in the same location as the first like mini dungeon. But but then it also feels like, okay, now you gotta have your big boy pants. Like, this is a real fucking dungeon. It took me forever to beat, because I, I didn't want to look up a walkthrough. Yeah. I, I hate walkthroughs for Zelda games. <laughs> I've always been adamantly <laughs> yeah. against yeah. them. And then finally, let's go into our top three bosses. Uh, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, so this this one was tough because, like we talked about a little bit earlier, there's not a lot of awesome bosses. I agree. I think probably number three would be Blind from the Thieves' Hideout. Um, not because he's like a fun boss battle, but he's the only one who has any kind of character the to twist. him. The twist, like he follows you around. Yeah, he follows you around as as a girl the entire time, and you think you're trying to yeah, save she, her. She pretends to be the sage of the level. Yeah, and then it turns out he's just trying to lure you into his boss room and kill And the him. way you reveal him is perfect, because it's literally like, it doesn't even make sense earlier. You're up in this empty room with a broken floor panel that you can blow up, and the light's shining right into it. And then way later, near the end of the dungeon, you bring the imposter sage into this room underneath and bring her into the light, and apparently that's what exposes her. So I love that part for sure. Yeah, and he he's the only boss that's alluded to earlier in the game, too. Um, when you go to that area, um, I think you get, like, a heart piece from the dude. But you, you talk to a guy who tells you about the, the blind, the thief. And then he, once he's done telling the story, he looks to his right, I believe, and, like, looks at the light. So it's, like, almost a nod at the beginning of the game on, like, how you're supposed to beat him. Oh, wow. I did, that's so deep. I love yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. For your second? Um, so I kind of struggled with this one. I kind of looked through the list just to remember them all. But I'd say, tr- yeah, Trinex, maybe, from the from Turtle Rock, the three-headed turtle snake oh, thing. Oh, I, I, I love Turtle Rock as a dungeon. I meant to give that an honorable mention. Yeah, Turtle Rock's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's a little tedious with the rails after a while, but it is. I think it's well designed. Mm-hmm. With the that that was like one of the head was weak to ice and one was weak to fire, right? Yeah, and then you beat both of those, and he kind of chases you around the room as uh as a snake or something. Right. Yeah, it's pretty tough. 
Yeah. And then uh, number one, I know we kind of talked about how he sucks, but Ganon. Only because you can tailor how hard it is if you don't get the upgrades. If you don't upgrade any of your shit, he is a super hard boss fight. Because he can basically one-shot I'd love you. to see that. I, it became... I, I was so curious when guys were still hitting me for like two, three hearts. And I was had the fully upgraded tunic. I was like, what would they be hitting if I just had my regular tunic on? Yeah, exactly. Um, and like I've done some three heart runs in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, and it's it's same thing. I mean, enemies that would never kill you in one shot, like an Iron Knuckle can one shot you. I think they do like <laughs> they want six hearts of damage in one hit, so you, they like double kill you. Just game breaking. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, Ganon is a legitimately hard boss fight and probably the hardest one if you don't upgrade all of your shit. If you do, then he's a cakewalk. Yeah, by that point. Yeah. Uh, For me, rest? I go number three, the Armos Knights, which are, again, in the first Eastern Palace you face. Yeah. I, I just like how simple it was. It was almost like you get the bow and arrow and these enemies you can only take out with the bow and arrow and you need to be somewhat quick and have good aim to do it. Yeah. Uh, you can actually just like st- I, I don't know if I should tell you this it might ruin it but you can just stand to the right and like as they rotate into you you just keep firing arrows from this one spot and you'll just kill every single one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty easy but I, I also just think they look pretty cool like yeah the totally. way they form a wall and sort of charge towards you is like oh fuck yeah and so nostalgic like the the first boss you ever face at, in the Zelda mm-hmm. game yeah that had a lot to do with it my second boss is also a lot to do with nostalgia is Argus which is that's the eyeball that's surrounded by all the like little jellyfish yeah, and yeah, yeah. you have to pull them with the hook shots kill them and expose the main boss in the middle I, I always just like that mechanism for a boss battle yeah and and they re- revisited right that. with a uh, the Jubba's belly boss or whatever um I think it was in Majora's Mask I think they did that exact he's like Igor or something and he was just like a giant eyeball with a bunch of stuff that you had to I think it was a, yeah the hook shot and pull him mm-hmm. off yeah it just looks cool yeah I think he's a solid boss and then that. finally I for my final one I went with Aghanim the true bad yeah. guy of this game <laughs> Aghanim's the second the second battle because uh, I just love the the idea that the master sword is part of the battle like you're deflecting the attacks with the sword that only you can have that is meant for this battle it's storyline, it adds up. It's the battle at the end of the, the toughest dungeon of this game. So, yeah. I don't yeah. know, it just felt like... That's why I felt like the Ganon one was almost anticlimactic. I almost would have just put Ganon here at the end, and then that's the end of the game, but... Yeah. What can you do? Yeah, yeah. I know, like, he does suck. Aghanim is definitely the the only bad guy with any character, aside from Blind, but, like, he's not a main story character. Yeah, Ganon is pretty, pretty soulless. Um, I just like him for the difficulty. That if you choose to if you choose to do that, I do have one honorable mention for that as yeah, well. Yeah, um, just one one final one: the Dark Links from the Palace of the Four Sword. Super hard. Um, so you face them. There's four Dark Links who have the Four Sword, and you face them one by one, and they get progressively more challenging. And the last one is a legitimately hard, hard boss fight. He like he. I think you have to run a gauntlet in the four sword of other bosses too, even before you get to them. But he he'll wreck your shit. Like he chases you around the room with all of your moves, and he's like super super strong. 
And yeah, it's probably the most fun and interesting boss battle, even though it's not from the original. I love that they'll run with the Dark Link idea too, though, because it was it's such a hit in Orc Arena. Yeah, so those are our three top threes of the game. Uh, we'll get down to the final section that I always talk about, the replayability and the legacy of this game. I will say part of the legacy is that it is so replayable. Like uh, the fact that I've done this dozens of times and it doesn't feel old in the beginning, it still feels like its own world. And like I brought up earlier, like with RPG Maker and how like the ease and the low barrier to entry that it would take to make a game that looks like this. And, and there's still no games like I remember I bought one on I bought one on the Switch store that I can't even remember the name of, but it looks like a clone of this. And I was like, well, I'll try it. It's garbage. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of Zelda clones over the years, and none of them have really, in in my experience anyway, none of them have really captured mm-hmm. it. And I th- I think it would be cool um, to try. I'm I'm learning Blender right now, and I want to learn Unreal Engine, and I think I might give it a crack. But I don't I'd I'd want to take it pretty seriously because because of exactly right. that. Right. Like all the all the all the Zelda clones that are out there are dog shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's funny because it's a game you have to realize, you have to replay to really realize the impact it's had on games. Like, I never I never truly understood the Dark Souls references until I replayed this recently when I'm like, I never really realized, like, oh, the enemies don't matter. You're not getting experience from any of these. You could just skirt, run around them if you wanted, unless yeah. you're in a room where you have to beat them to clear the room. But it is, like, way more yeah. optional and sort of freeform than I remember. Yeah, and it's more reliant on you being good. like a roguelike sort of but i i will say one criticism i feel you could level towards this game just in the in the situation we're in now in the future is like this game is sort of just a scaled down ocarina of time when you look at the storyline and you know just uh, there's so many there's so many comparison points like the three mini temples before the game before you get the master sword and then you got to get the seven sages and then beat ganon and all that yeah, it def- definitely set up the format moving forward. But do you think this game sort of stands on its own as its own thing? Or do you think, like, Ocarina sort of, like, it, it's always going to live in Ocarina's shadow? I do think it stands up as its own thing. Um, to me, in my mind, there's a bit of a disconnect between the 2D and the 3D Zelda games, even though there's clear influence from this game to Ocarina. They're completely different styles of games. And I think this is the first like is a clear evolution from the original Mm -hmm. one and i think it feels like they did exactly what they wanted to do with it and then for ocarina it was i feels like it was more of a clear vision on what it was always meant to. yeah i agree because i don't think i would go back and play the nintendo one unless it was just to sort of see what it's like but i wouldn't enjoy it whereas i enjoyed playing this fresh on its own yeah, I straight up don't don't enjoy one and two. I've beaten both of them, but I think only once because it's just such a slog and it's no fun. It's literally <laughs> just to say you did it, right? Yeah. Well, like hey man, I feel like we've gone a bit over here, but I thought that I thought that was gonna happen given the game that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah totally. let's call this one. It was a lot of fun talking. I love this game. Uh, I'm glad you love it too. Yeah, it's been uh, a pleasure. Is man. there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to get out there before we get out of here? No, I don't really have a. A ton going. I mean, there's been a lot of big changes in my life recently, but they're nothing like no plugs. I'm good. That's just fair. Uh, just enjoy video games, guys. Keep keep, keep playing games. I love it. Uh, as for me, as always, it's at Funny Jordan D everywhere you can, you know, 
know, social media, or at G-O-Y-L-Pod. Always trying to grow that thing out. If you listen to the show, give it a share, tell a friend. We're trying to grow this thing a bit. And uh, outside of that, Bo, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And everyone else, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Sweet, thanks, man.